This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. He's got a lot of knowledge about things I'm curious about, and he's cool. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Especially here in the age of analytics, there are just mountains of underwhelming stats that get thrown around, particularly in baseball, but it happens with basketball too. Advanced sabermetrics, where you're just wondering what these acronyms mean and why it's important. But this stat here, I think, is a very real stat. It's something that we saw over the weekend, and if you haven't heard it, It might be something that either bums you out or you just say, man, that's crazy. With the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals, no NBA franchise has been around longer than the Charlotte Hornets without a Conference Finals appearance. That's a real stat. And it is kind of a bummer from a Charlotte basketball perspective. But with that said, there's more reason for Hornets optimism right now than I can remember there being any time before. You probably have to go back to the mid-90s when they beat Boston in a playoff series to find the last time people liked players on the current roster as much as they do right now. And there was just real optimism and excitement about this franchise. You probably would have to go that far. And if these playoffs are any kind of indicator, Charlotte might be on the fast track to become an Eastern Conference contender sooner rather than later. Look at some of the other teams in the conference finals. The Suns, the Hawks, and the way that they've built their team. I'm not going to say that these playoffs, I know for a fact, they are an indicator for what's to come in the league. See, now that you've got these traditionally built teams, that's what teams are going to do all across the league now, rather than what we've seen the last decade, trying to collect superstars and win instantly. Let's not forget... The Lakers won last year with LeBron and AD being added in recent years. Kawhi Leonard was a mercenary in Toronto winning a title. So, And before that, it was the Golden State Warriors adding Kevin Durant. So I don't think that's going to go away. But there's always going to be a place for building homegrown talent, for drafting your stars, and building things in an old-school manner. That's what the Hawks and the Suns have done here. Their best players are the guys that they drafted. For the Suns, it's Devin Booker. For the Atlanta Hawks, it's Trey Young. And he was taken in the 2018 draft, which was also a very important draft for Phoenix. That's when they took DeAndre Ayton, who had the game-winning shot the other night. And that's when they took McCall Bridges as well, who's been a very important rotation player, very important on the defensive side. That draft helped build these rosters. And three years later, three seasons later, here they are on the doorstep of the NBA Finals. If you're a Hornets fan, that has to make you optimistic to end this long drought of not even getting to the Conference Finals. You've got LaMelo and Miles and PJ and Devontae Graham if you choose to keep them around. Same goes for Malik Monk. Talent that you drafted, that you developed, that's going to be the future of your team. And unlike Phoenix and Atlanta, I don't think Charlotte needs to add another all-star in order to make this 
a team that can take the next step. They don't need to add a star in free agency. Atlanta, they needed to do it last offseason. They had money to spend. They added Bogdanovich. That was a big ad for them. Phoenix, they added Chris Paul. Probably the best offseason acquisition you're going to find across the NBA. Took them to a different level. Charlotte, this past offseason, already found an all-star caliber player to add with this young group. That's what Gordon Hayward was. When Gordon played, and he played a ton this year, more than I think you might expect considering he missed the final month and change of the season, he was an all-star caliber player. Terry Rozier, he's looked every bit that kind of guy. That's enough scoring. I don't know if LaMelo Ball is going to be able to take the steps that Trey Young has. In college, I think we all kind of knew Trey Young was a different kind of scorer. LaMelo wasn't in college, but a unique talent. We'll see if he could develop more from the three-point line. If he does, he's going to be a scary type of player, and it could happen sooner rather than later when he's equipped with Rozier, Gordon Hayward, and some combination of Devontae Graham and Malik Monk. What Charlotte does need to add is what we've been banging on for the last month or so. It's a defensive center. Atlanta needed to pick up Clint Capella to be functional defensively. Last night, he didn't get nearly enough credit. John Collins, former Deke, he got a lot of attention for the corner three that was so important. He's been big during the playoffs, had that big dunk off the backboard. Trey Young... He's going to get all the attention. Kevin Herter for his Game 7 performance. And I'm not under. I'm not trying to minimize any of those games, but Clint Capella, look at the shooting numbers for Milwaukee. Why were they that way? Was it because the Bucs just had a terrible game? No. Clint Capella did a lot of those things uh, to disrupt a very good offensive team. That's what the Hornets need to find. They need to find a Jay Crowder. How important is Jay Crowder? He's a defensive player you can throw on bigs of any team, and he can also throw a pass to DeAndre Ayton to win a Western Conference Finals game. Charlotte needs to find that. Daniel Tice is enticing. Maybe Charlotte could pick him up in free agency. I don't think the right answer is available on the free agent market. You're going to lose Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo. I don't think you should bring back either of those players. Maybe you work something out with Indiana. Bring in Miles Turner. Indiana has a new coach in Rick Carlisle. That would be a very good defensive center you bring back. 25 years old, double-figure average scorer, good rebounder. 25-year-old player is one of the best defensive centers in the NBA right now. That would be great for Charlotte. So if it was Tice and Turner, and you restructure this, this roster just a little bit, Who's to say Charlotte can't take a step with an old-school developed team? Phoenix and Atlanta should be inspirations for the Hornets. It also tells me it's time for the Hornets to start winning games. They've got stability in the front office. They never really had that before. Certainly not with Rich Cho. Mitch Kupchak is respected, and he's been excellent with draft choices. And we hope that continues in a month with the Hornets picking 11th. After all, that's the same pick they took 
Malik Monk, same pick. Actually, the 12 picks when they took Miles Bridges. He's been pretty good in that 10 to 14 range. That's around the same spot they took P.J. Washington. Devontae Graham discovered him in the second round. They hit on the mellow ball. They caught a break there. They know who they're building around now. The head coach is Borrego. And what's crazy to me, talking again about stats that actually matter, in his current NBA position, his current job, James Borrego has been in place pretty much longer than any coach across the league. He is sixth in the NBA in tenure, the current job that he's in. So not like across an entire career, but your current job, what's your tenure? He took the job in 2016, or 2018, excuse me. That's sixth longest in the NBA. So there's stability on the coaching staff and the front office. You know who you're building around. There's clarity there. It's time to start winning. Enough talk about upside. Next year, you need to get to the playoffs. In the next two years, you need to be winning in the playoffs. Win a playoff series. Maybe host a playoff series. Have home court advantage in one. It's time for the Hornets to start doing that, and it's no longer unrealistic to expect them to get to the conference finals and snap this record streak because we just saw it with Phoenix, who hasn't been to the playoffs in the previous 12 years, and we saw it with the Atlanta Hawks in the way that they build as well. This offseason is so important. Atlanta had money to spend last year, and they got everything right. Charlotte, if they do the same, could see similar results sooner than you think. 336-777-1600 if you want in on the show. On Twitter at WSGS Sports. Robert Walsh producing the program. Intern Cole in the house as well, taking your uh, phone calls. The Carolina Panthers, they completed minicamp last week. Don't look now. One month from this week, the Panthers will be reporting the training camp at Spartanburg. Remember, they weren't able to have training camp in Spartanburg. They had to have it in the stadium last year and at their team facility in Charlotte. Now, I'm not the one that finds training camp and preseason to be all that interesting. Who's going to be the backup running back? And how much time is Chuba Hubbard going to get spelling Christian McCaffrey or... Terrace Marshall, is he the third receiver or is it David Moore? What's going on with interior D-line depth? Those are all important things. I'll leave that to the beat writers to discuss them. I'd rather just hit on the biggest stories that I think matter most. So here are the three biggest Panther stories a month before the start of camp. It starts with quarterback. This has been the same question we've asked for now three straight seasons going into camp. Is the quarterback who is starting right now going to be the franchise guy? Can he be the future of this team? That's the same question we've asked going into the last three tra- uh, three training camps for Carolina. Cam Newton, it was about injury. He was coming off the shoulder deal, and then the third preseason game got hurt against the Patriots. It was his foot, of course, the foot that wasn't such, according to Ron Rivera. Teddy Bridgewater last year, can he be the franchise guy? And now it's Sam Darnold. That's the biggest story. And with Sam, there's an added wrinkle because it doesn't seem like he's interested in getting vaccinated. He says he's still going to evaluate it, get more information. There were some Panthers that decided they wanted to get vaccinated, get their first shot right after minicamp. And we saw some of that on social media. But as far as we know it right now, Sam isn't vaccinated. And for pretty much any other player on the roster, I wouldn't give a rip. 
even if it was McCaffrey, wouldn't even give a rip. But with quarterback, it's important. That position, yeesh, you don't keep a lot of them on the roster. It's so valuable, regardless of who you're talking about. If he misses even just a few games, that could prove incredibly costly for Carolina. The bigger question is, with him choosing to be unvaccinated, does it pretty much clinch Carolina keeping three quarterbacks on their roster again this year? You had to do it last year. And with the flexibility the league provided, it was just a no-brainer. But especially with the 17-game schedule, is both are both P.J. Walker and Will Greer going to make the roster now if Sam Darnold chooses to be unvaccinated? I think the, the way the league handled it is, is perfect. Don't force players to get it. Cole Beasley can have the opinion he has. But for most of us who got the vaccine, there have been rewards you reap if you do so. And the same goes for NFL players. You have more freedoms in the building, more things you could do, less protocols you have to go to go through if you get vaccinated versus being unvaccinated. And play, the league should not mandate you having to do so. But there is an advantage if you do so, even for the teams. So it depends on the value you have to the team, whether or not you make the roster being unvaccinated. And we'll see if Cole Beasley's... Uh, valuable enough, worth keeping, being an unvaccinated player for them this year. For the Panthers, I think that's an interesting wrinkle. We'll talk with Darren Gant about it in about 30 minutes. The second biggest story is left tackle. A few weeks ago, it felt like a five-man race for left tackle. Now I think it's more of a three-man race. I think they're going to cut Greg Little. I think they've had enough of him. Brady Christensen, it looks like he's more of a right-side O-lineman probably more of a guard than a tackle. He signed earlier today. The Panthers have signed 10 of their 11 rookies now. The three-man race, Cam Irving, who seems like the front runner, Dennis Daly, who's played some snaps there, and Trent Scott, who's done a lot of good things at left tackle, did a lot of good things last year. One of those three, I think, is going to be the left tackle, and it's pretty concerning that those are the three, but that's where Carolina is, and because of that concern and how important the position is, it's one of the biggest stories. And while we're talking about the offensive line, the third biggest story that matters the most a month before camp is Taylor Moten. This has to be addressed by the time the Panthers start camp. Because if you're unfamiliar with uh, franchise tag rules, if you sign somebody to the tag, you've got to hammer out a long-term deal by July 15th or else he's going to become a free agent the next year or else you can't negotiate until after the season ends. So three weeks from today, Carolina, if they plan to keep Moten long-term, have to knock out a deal. It feels like they drafted Brady Christensen to beat insurance a year from now if Taylor Moten were to walk. But other than McCaffrey, he might be the most reliable thing the Panthers have on offense. He has nicknames like Motown, Tamo, the franchise, Robert... The franchise is a new one. Which of those three nicknames do, is is your favorite of the bunch for Taylor Moten? Motown's pretty good. I like Motown. Because you could be like the Motown Motown. He's pancaking everybody. Ah, like that. Those are the stories I'm focused on a month before Panthers training camp. 
Although his mind is still as sharp as ever, he occasionally has trouble seeing small print and needs the assistance of a handheld ferret to read letters. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Everything's turning up Wake Forest in the NBA's conference finals. Chris Paul officially available for tonight's Game 3 with Phoenix up 2-zip on the Clippers. Don't forget, there are three former Deacons left standing in the playoffs. Not two. You probably know about Chris and John Collins, but Jeff Teague is also on the Milwaukee Bucks roster. So we're guaranteed at least one Deacon in the NBA Finals, and the way that the West is shaping up looks like we're going to get two, so we might as well welcome in one of the greatest Demon Deacons ever, Randolph Childress, now joining us on WSJS Sports. Uh, Randolph, are you the one that taught John Collins how to knock down those clutch corner threes? <laughs> I wish. I think John uh, John had that the whole time. I just think he got a little bit more confidence in, uh, in taking those shots. You know, it's funny, he, you know, in his four years of high school and his two years at Wake, he only attempted two threes in his life. And those were senior night in high school. <laughs> what do you remember your first impressions of John Collins, him being on the recruiting trail? Wow. Uh, very efficient. I think the one thing that's translated on every level that John's played on is he's been incredibly efficient, right? He's efficient in high school, really efficient at Wake, and, and, and he's also very efficient in, in, in the NBA. So I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, I think for me it was great hands, uh, people see this bouncy, athletic guy, and uh, in seeing John, if you go, if John was a junior in high school, he was overweight. He probably was thirty or so pounds heavier than he is right now. Um, just you just saw the ability, but he was nothing like what he. You know, credit to him for changing his body before he ever arrived on campus, and I think that accelerated his uh, his transition to the NBA. But I didn't see the bouncy kid. I saw good feet, good hands. Uh, good touch around the rim, good mechanics, but I, I didn't see this, this playing, you know, two feet above the rim the way he's playing right now. Going into his profile a bit, I see Vanderbilt was the only other team to offer him. He's He grew up in Utah. Did you see him first when he was playing high school ball in Florida? I did. I saw him on his AAU circuit. Um, he had a few other He had a few other schools, I think. I know Kansas State. There were a few other schools on him. Miami came in. Mm. But he took an official visit to Miami. So by the time it got to the end, I mean, he wasn't – there were no secrets about John. I think everyone knew he could play. He just wasn't on a on a shoe circuit. When did you know – you said he was overweight coming in. Mm-hmm. When did you know he could be a guy that potentially translates to the league? Before he ever got there, he had, tra- he had changed his body. I mean, you're talking about a kid that – to be so young. John was 17 when he got there too. So when I started recruiting, he was 16 years old, 15, 16 years old. And he, before he ever stepped on campus, he had lost all that weight. He had completely changed his diet and was just a, a slim kid. So it is, it is, you know, it sped up his, uh, his it, it accelerated his growth. I mean, he didn't have to go through, typically most, most players have to go through a physical, you know, adjustment to, to, to high major basketball. And John had already dropped the weight and began to add muscle. So, you know, he struggled a little bit as a freshman, as he did that, but with the complete offseason, you saw what happened. As his sophomore year, he just took off. Randolph Childress with us here on WSGS Sports. By the time Chris started playing at Wake Forest, 
you were already royalty here in the triad. And since he grew up around here, do you have any young Chris Paul stories or do you not? Did you never cross paths with him because you were playing pro ball? I, yeah, I didn't know much about Chris. I, I heard of him, obviously. You know, he was a heck of a player, and you heard about him. But I didn't get a chance to meet him until he was, I think, a sophomore. His sophomore year before he turned pro. Uh, just coming back in town, visiting those guys. And uh, and I don't even know if I if I met him then. I saw him. And I think it was years later. He was already, you know, already, already a special player in the NBA before I got a chance to probably meet him face-to-face. I actually don't remember our first time, but I don't. I think it was why he was a student athlete on campus. He was already a great player by then. But I'm sure you remember watching him on television when oh, he was at Wake. Yes, yes, yes. Heck of a player. Um, again, it's it's funny. You, you never. It's hard to predict how great they're going to be. It's no different than you know. You look at Tim. No one predicted a Hall of Fame career. Uh, same with same with Chris. You know, I, I don't think anyone looked at those guys and thought uh, he's going to be arguably a, a top five point guard of all time. Uh, he, he's had an unbelievable career. It's not over, so I don't like talking about his career like Timmy's because I think he's on the verge of <laughs> winning his first championship. And uh, just super proud of him and, and happy for him. And they still got a ways to go. They're only in the Western Conference Finals, so I don't want to. I don't want to speak too much about it and jinx it. But right now, with him coming back with a two zero lead, I, I like my I like my chances with Phoenix. Were you a superstitious player? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I didn't really. I didn't really care. I think Odom was a lot of my teammates were, but I, I didn't. I just was Tim just, like show up and play. Yeah, to an extent he was. I mean, all those guys were. I mean, everybody had their own thing. I just didn't believe in it. I mean, I would, you know, we would have our pre you know, pregame meals, and sometimes I'd skip out on that and get a, you know, eat at McDonald's or something like that. What I was Tim's really thing? What was Tim's thing? Just he just did the same thing over and over. I mean, all those everybody had some. Tim's was just the same thing. Ate the same thing. He would have to take a nap. Uh, his his routine was similar. Mine was just like if I felt like it. If not, then I just kind of I kind of winged it. I didn't really have a. I wasn't really superstitious about anything like that. Randolph Childress with us here. While we're talking, you you mentioned with Chris while you were watching him on television back when he was at Wake. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult to forecast what he might be able to accomplish and what he might be right. at the next level. You got a chance to coach Carter Witt this past year. I'm interested in what you see him projecting to be at the college level. Is he somebody you think that can be a special player at Wake? I think he has a chance. Uh, I think so. So much is made right now, like like during this time of the year. I mean, Carter was thrown into a very difficult situation at Wake last year. He should have been enjoying his high school career, his senior year, and he chose to come in and roll in, roll in school early. And and I think his first game might have been Virginia in the ACC on the road. So uh, that was. <laughs> He got a real welcome to the ACC in the league, but he has a chance. I, I think that the biggest thing for him is going to be the physical adjustment that he's going to need. He's having his first real off-season work. So I'm, I'm excited to see you know the, the, the next step for Carter. I mean, this first year for him is going to be a big jump because most of the time, most incoming freshmen don't get a full off-season. And he didn't last year. He literally got thrown in the middle of the season for ACC play. He didn't even get any warm-up games. So for him, I, I think he has a taste of what uh, the ACC is about, and I'm expecting a heck of a year from him this coming year. I think he has a chance to be really, really good, and uh, we'll see. In hindsight, it is crazy what he was asked to do. He arrived right, right after. Right, right. It's unreal. It's unfair. It is right before you know, Christmas. Just, he arrived yeah. on campus, and then two weeks he later, arrived, starting yeah, against Virginia. To, 
Yeah, literally. And you had to throw him out there. You had to. He had to do all this extra conditioning. He had to learn the system, and he was thrown out there. So people won't look at his stats and give him the credit he deserved. He, he had a lot thrown at him last year. I uh, was super proud of, of, of how he accomplished that and really you know, happy for him. And, and I think this year you'll see a, a jump in his stats, and I think you'll see a, a vast improvement from a year ago from him. Steve Forbes, too. You, you think about... Goodness, man. He was the only coach in major college basketball to take a job last year, and no one was allowed to even host recruits until this month. So that's a crazy thing as well. What's something being inside the building, seeing how he worked behind the scenes, that makes you optimistic about the future of Wake basketball under his leadership? I just think he's so personable and so relatable for the guys. And, and, and I think everyone who spends time around him feels like they really know him even if they don't. And it's something that hasn't always existed there. And uh, I think he does a very, you know, a very good job of doing that. And I'm expecting that, you know, a, a bigger step for my players. I think the guys, there's the guys that are coming in, they're going to they're there now. They're getting a full work of off season, but I think the connection with him is going to, is going to bode, bode well for the Deeks. Randolph, hope you're doing okay. Hope Brandon's doing okay as well. And that I'll get to see you face to face sometime soon. Thanks so much for doing that. COVID's ending, buddy, so I'm hoping we get together soon. Yep, that sounds great. That's right, Randolph. Show to see you, man. That's uh, Randolph, kind enough to join us. Shoot him a follow on Twitter if you haven't, at R22Childress. You can find him on social media. Sawyer Dillon's in the house. Sawyer's got a beard. How would you describe it, uh, Robert? Very full. Like uh, You might think it would be patchy, but no. It is uh, very seamless from his uh, from his sideburns all the way to his chinny-chin-chin. It's looking good. We need to get Sawyer in here. With Trey Young and DeAndre Ayton winning conference finals games in year three, I went back and looked at the 2018 NBA draft, and boy, there's some great players that were taken that year, guys who were already paying significant dividends in the league. I'll redraft the top 10 of that draft. Or, it won't even just be the top 10 players. That entire draft, I'll redraft a top 10 for it. Next on The Drive. He puts the C in awkward. Huh? He didn't finish high school. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Intern Cole walked into my uh, office before the show, and he was very disappointed in me. Like the way you would be if you realized your dad had let you down at some point. He's a huge Bucks fan. He walked into my office, and the first things he said, first thing he said to me was, "Josh, what happened? What happened? How could you?" When the Bucks lost to Atlanta. And game one, when I said they were going to win in five games, still could happen. And I'll tell you why I'm undeterred. I'm not scared. I'm not backing off of that prediction. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. But as I promised, Britney Spears, she's in the news again, which has me thinking in the sports context of one of my favorite pieces of play by play sound of all time. This should go in a museum. See, we got the National Sports Media Association that Dave Gorin runs and Winston-Salem recognizing broadcasters and sports writers. I think you should have play-by-play calls. Down goes Frazier should be there next to Vin Scully's call of Hank Aaron's record-breaking home run. And also up there, 
this call from ESPN circa 13 years ago. Let me paint the picture for you. It's Georgia-Alabama. It's a three-point game. Bama just hit a field goal in overtime. Georgia's looking either to match with the field goal or score a touchdown. Mike Patrick's on the call with Todd Blackledge in this tense moment of the game. Take it away, Mike Patrick. I have an important question. Go ahead. What is Brittany doing with her life? Who? Brittany. Brittany who? Spears. What is she doing with her career? <laughs> Why do we care at this point? Is she here? <laughs> I don't think so. Is she a football fan? Oh, I'm sure she is. Georgia from the 25. <laughs> right back into the play-by-play. What's Brittany doing with her life? What's she doing? What is she up to? I'd like to imagine Mike Patrick sitting in his home today, just wondering, gosh, what is Brittany doing with her life? Who knows? I'd like to know more of what Mike Patrick's thinking. You might believe this is like in 2007, so maybe this is about the bathroom incident when she shaved her head and all that. What's Brittany doing with her life? I'd like to think Mike Patrick had the foresight to know that this conservatorship was a bad idea for Brittany and that this is terrible. What is Brittany doing with her life? How is it possible that she has this conservatorship? I know that's wrong, but that's, that's what I'd like to think for Mike Patrick. The very next play, Robert, the play that he was describing was a game-winning touchdown pass to Matthew Stafford finding some dude. The, the very only, next play. The only way the play-by-play -play would have been better if he was like, hit me, baby, one more time! <laughs> the Georgia Bulldogs! Like, that's the only thing that would have made it better. <laughs> this game is toxic! <laughs> if you've got more Britney football call puns, 336-777-1600 is the phone number. I'd like to imagine a game-winning field goal clanging off the right, the right uh, goalpost and in. Oh, that's lucky! Not great. Good luck trying to work in. I'm a slave for you. Good luck. I challenge you. Actually, I don't challenge you. Robert just backed away from the microphone. Sawyer's now looking at me with an awkward smile. That's a song that became a very popular song, which is an amazing thing. On the goal line, Robert, fourth and one. Alabama trying to punch it in. You've got to work, bitch. 336-777-1600. Oops, they did it again. <laughs> the Atlanta Hawks are stronger than yesterday. Don't be worried about the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Don't be worried about them, Cole. They've got David Bakhtiari back at these games, chugging beers. That's a great sign. I still expect Milwaukee to run away with this series. Reason number one, Trey Young's not going to do that the entire series. If he does, that would be insane. He 
dropped 48 on 50% shooting. He attempted 34 shots, hit 17 of them, 50% shooting, 48 points. Put the, let, let me put that side by side with the series he just had with Philadelphia. He averaged less than 30 a game against the Sixers. Four of the seven he was scoring in the 20s, including Game 7, in which he only scored 21 points. Like, this has to slow down. It's going to. It's like when Kevin Durant dropped 49 on Milwaukee in Game 5 and everybody buried the Bucks that day. Except me. I said Milwaukee was still going to win that series. I still think Milwaukee's going to walk past the Atlanta Hawks. This game actually reminded me more of the Miami-Milwaukee game one where all we heard about, maybe Miami's going to beat Milwaukee, can't trust Milwaukee, look what happened in the bubble last year, even though we knew there was a clear talent disparity. Then game one happens, and if you remember the game, it was on a Saturday afternoon, went to overtime, couple buzzer beaters, Chris Middleton hit a shot at the buzzer. Everybody's thinking, man, this is going to be a great series that's probably going to go seven. The next day... I said, this is probably going to be a sweep. Why? Because Miami attempted 53s in that game, hit 20, and still lost. Now, if Miami had won that game, does that mean Miami would have won the series? No. Milwaukee won in a sweep. They were clearly the better team. That's why you have a best-of-seven series. Atlanta does not do one single thing better than Milwaukee does. Milwaukee is the better team, and I don't think it's that close. So, yeah, Bucks and five. I'm sticking with it. If it's six, I don't think it's going to be in some type of egregious mistake. The better team's going to win the series. It reminds me of Miami game one. Don't Just because John Collins sunk that corner three and Atlanta was able to pull out game one does not mean that they're going to win a best-of-seven series. Milwaukee's still the better team. They have more talent. They're better at what they do than Atlanta is. The Bucs are still going to run away with things. Any more Britney puns? Or have we exhausted the well? Ah, uh, I don't know, man. This is tough. Who was, uh, uh, you could do it if it was like, Reggie Bush might be a womanizer, but now he's also in the end zone. <laughs> I don't know. I think we've uh, pretty much... Are we doing mid-2000s football players? I, I just didn't know who would be a womanizer, and I had to fit... Reggie Bush is a pretty good one. I had to fit womanizer in there. In college, dating a Kardashian. That was before that they rose to prominence, though. She was like a C+. I actually learned who Kim Kardashian was because she was dating Reggie Bush. That was before she got all the work done and stuff, too, and all the money. So like I I wouldn't give him like the is credit pre Ray J. Yes. Okay. I wouldn't give her like you can't say it's not the same thing as like uh, another person dating a Kardashian like they weren't that big yet. Understood. <laughs> uh, this one Sarah Bradford just texted in, trying to figure out a good player to 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 feature this with. You know how Kevin Harlan has that call for LeBron when he drove in against the Celtics? LeBron James with no regard for human life. That's another tremendous call. What if it was instead, LeBron James, you drive me crazy. 
I would not know that the, he was referencing a Britney Spears song there. <laughs> uh, it's amazing that Cole doesn't know one Britney Spears song. That's an amazing thing. See, Sawyer, you're no longer the youngest buck on the show here. That's, that's intern Cole. And intern Cole doesn't know much about Britney Spears. Like you, the name Kevin Federline means nothing to you. I'm proud of that fact. You shouldn't be. Britney Spears is great. Don't be proud of your ignorance. Oh, I don't want to have more knowledge and information. Come on. With those glasses, with those specs, you should want all the information. You should have all the information. I'm proud I don't know who Britney Spears is. Grow up. Coming from the dude who was like, Japan doesn't have a democracy? <laughs> well, none of Where us is do. Dallas? None Where is Dallas? I told do. you exactly what it was. I was like, it's a big dude at the top, and they they vote on it at the smaller scale. This is a circus. You didn't know where Dallas... Uh. All right, fellas. <laughs> Good show. Appreciate you coming in, Sawyer. Cole, great job. Everybody, great job. Probably not going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> no, Robert, we're only halfway through. Give me more. Give me more show is what I would say to that. Sawyer Dillon has Nerd Corner prepared for us. Also, Robert has another idea that if he was in front of Mark Cuban and uh, the Shark Tank crew, that he would pitch. We'll get that idea from Robert, and we'll also go in Nerd Corner next. He tries to be funny. Obnoxious. It really is obnoxious. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Sawyer Dillon's in with us before he takes us inside Nerd Corner. Sawyer asked, I think, a pretty good question. Why does a coach of Rick Carlisle's caliber decide to walk away from Luka Doncic and Mark Cuban and the Mavs organization to take the Indiana Pacers job? What's going on behind the scenes? And our way of trying to answer that very good pointed question was wondering how we would do pitching different items, different patents, different ideas at Mark Cuban on the show Shark Tank that Sawyer is a fan of and that Robert Walsh apparently has a ton of ideas stashed away that he thinks could be multi-million dollar projects, including the Scoozy? The Shoozy? That, the okay. shower. Scoozy sounds like you're trying to be fancy and get by in a tight line. Be like, a Scoozy, a Scoozy. It, we can't call it Scoozy. It's a, okay. No, what I said was Shakoozy. There you go. Shacuzzi. I like Shakoozy. Shakoozy. Still not getting 15%. We can talk about your cut later. Which is a shower beer, but you have to have something, a suction thing attached to like a koozie to drink shower beers. Leave it, leave it to me to explain the ideas. You just you just do the other part. Well, I just need you to tell me what your next idea is because that's a pretty good one that's hitting with the audience right now, having some type of shower koozie to put shower beers in. 
All right, well, this is probably my last one because I'm not a big fan of giving all my ideas out over the radio. There's people at, like, Genius.com are like, oh, man, that's another good one. Keep listening to the show. Shakuzi. Okay, so uh, you guys all know about the Squatty Potty, right? But you not, might not necessarily want to bring your own... Sawyer, sk- I don't think, knows what a Squatty Potty is. Okay, so a Squatty Potty is something, it's like a set of stairs almost that hugs the bottom of your toilet, and whenever you're having to go number two, the anatomically correct position is for your knees to be above your bowels. It helps with gravity. It helps with not having a pinch on when you're trying to go. So you can't always use those at work, right? Nobody's trying to lug some big-ass stairs to work so they can go number two a lot easier. So this is something you could like market to businesses who want to get more productivity and, and time out of their uh, employees. Instead of having them just uh, go into the bathroom, they could use uh, a squatty potty arm that's attached to the wall of the stall. So if you're having trouble going and you're saying, oh, it's going to be 15 minutes, 20 minutes before I'm out of here. I'm having a meeting with the Browns at the Super Bowl. And so you have an arm on the stall wall that will fold out and allow you to put your feet up high enough that it might assist you in going to the bathroom. I don't know what the hell you would call this, but that's an idea. And I wouldn't market it to individuals. I would market it to companies who own the buildings that they're doing business in. So then you could be like, yeah, I need to, I can sell you. How many stalls you got? You got, you got 100 stalls. I'll sell you 100 of these uh, squatty potty arms. Are all your ideas in the bathroom? Uh, that's where I have my best ideas, yeah. See, the squatty potty is an interesting deal that Sawyer just learned about. Upon learning about what a squatty potty is first and foremost, any interest at all from you? I think I, I if I'm Cuban, I'm not. I don't want to name this being me, and I think if I'm Cuban, I don't. I don't put it in offer. I'm out. Dang, who? What's that? What's the lady's name? I like the bald dude and the lady. That's who I'm pitching to. You don't like Cuban? Uh, it's not that I don't like Cuban, but I don't think he's going to like my ideas. I would love to drink with Cuban. He has like a face like you know those bricks on Mario that like slam down and are blue. That's what Mark Cuban's face looked like. Intern Cole, are you in on this idea? Is it a yes for you? It's a yes for me. I think it's a no for me. Let's go to Nerd Corner. I'm interested in upgrading my 28.8 kilobaud internet connection to a 1.5 megabit fiber optic T1 line. If eSports is the future, will you be able to provide an IP router that's compatible with my token ring Ethernet LAN configuration? We're getting in early. I'm here to earn, everybody, not to make out with you. This is Nerd Corner with Sawyer Dillon. Sawyer, how many things do you have for me today? We got three stories here today. Three stories? Give me story number one. Well, as we know, Epic and Apple have been against each other's throats for a long time regarding their whole App Store debate and if Apple should be taking this much of a cut against Epic. Well, now Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic, is also coming for Google. He tweeted out that Google is a rotten soul that desperately needs competition and that they... um, just are an awful company to do business with business with so now he's basically you know he's now at war with the two giants of the mobile platform so if you like epic games on your phone and you play fortnite on your phone you're probably not going to have it much longer because he seems to be you know throwing jabs at each side what's the second biggest power there's google and whom and apple oh he's going after apple too uh yeah there's no competition for google at all they there was an Ask Jeeves era, maybe Bing. Robert, did you ever not use Google? 
Uh, I used Ask Jeeves and stuff like that when you were trying to be like a kid and you really didn't know what how a search engine worked, and I don't think they really did at that point either. But, I mean, once it happened, unless you're like uh, on a Windows computer and you try to get on online and it's like, would you like to make Bing your normal search engine? Like, no one does that. You got to go with Google. But I could see what Sawyer's talking about, the how they could potentially be a rotten soul. I don't know if he was quoting the Grinch there or not, but... I was hanging out with some folks last night who said that they can't stand watching Jim Carrey, that Jim Carrey is so, his entire personality just grates on them, which made it, his performance for The Grinch, actually kind of perfect. Like, Jim Carrey was the perfect person to play The Grinch. Robert, I suggested that they watch the Man on the Moon Andy Kaufman movie. Maybe that might change their opinion, or it might make things worse, but interesting you bring up the Grinch there. I just wouldn't talk to somebody if that was their opinion. It's like, oh, I don't like Jim Carrey. Well, I, I probably don't like you, sir. Have a fantastic life. It was a she. Well, have a fantastic life, ma'am. <laughs> don't step on any cracks and break your mama's back. Second story from Sawyer Dillon. The Baltimore Ravens have a new esports initiative that is including a oh. Fortnite tournament. So the Baltimore Ravens are now sponsoring this Fortnite tournament, and it's going all through the Ravens organization, and they're allowing 500 fans to basically play in this tournament. Or they're allowing anyone. The top 500 gets a headband, and then if you win the entire Fortnite tournament that is hosted through the Ravens, you get a, you get $500, a VIP game experience, and the opportunity to play Fortnite against a current Ravens player. This is like a basically open to play tournament that the Ravens are sponsoring and they're allowing like, you know, a lot of cool things if you win. Even if you get close, you get a headband, which kind of seems, eh. but pretty cool that, you know, a sports league is now or a sports team in a big league like the NFL is going in on something like this. Robert, if you could play a video game against any Raven, who would it be? Uh, I would not pick Hollywood because he is very, very good. Uh, at sport games. Uh, I don't know, probably Lamar or Mark Andrews. or. Do you know who I always hear from Ravens fans is their favorite player? Ben Cleveland. That's the guy I keep hearing Well, they had to just again. say that the last three months because he just became a Raven. Well, because of the things he says publicly that he's so well, he seems like such a likable guy. He is a big bearded man. Yeah, I saw him taking some shotguns today with Mojo Raleigh on the golf course. He's just a big, big dude. But, I mean, I would not say he is one of my favorite players, no. And I probably wouldn't play video games. If you were talking about a guy to go fishing with or uh, squirrel hunting, that was how he first broke through with Ravens fans. Somebody was like, what's the craziest thing you've ever eaten? And like, kind of like you do me when I say a redneck thing. you like People put him on a poster. He was like, oh, I've eaten squirrel before. And everybody took it off and ran with it. Like It's cool that he ate squirrel, but he, I don't think he's one of my favorite players. I find your redneck-isms to be very endearing, and it's one of my favorite things about you, Robert. Last story, Sawyer Dillon, here in Nerd Corner. Did you happen to watch the TikTok versus YouTube boxing event? I did. What was this? So this was a TikTok versus YouTuber boxing event where each match was one YouTube star versus one TikTok star, and they went at it. Um, the it had to involve one of the Pauls, right? This Since was they're no from YouTube. Pauls. This was no Pauls. Now okay. this was well Bryce Hall. I don't know if you know Bryce Hall and Austin McBroom. I think combined they have like eighty million followers or whatever. When I hear Bryce Hall, I think the corner 
from Virginia last year that got hurt. <laughs> Austin McBroom was actually a pretty good athlete. I can't remember where he played at, but he uh, he did have a good final year uh, wherever he did. Because when I was watching this, they were like, he's a former college star. And like anytime somebody says that, you want to check their stats. But I think he did actually have a pretty good college career. Kind of like Mahershala Ali. Oh, former athlete. Actually a pretty damn good athlete, Mahershala Ali. Um, so basically what happened, Austin McBroom ended up winning, but YouTube took home five to one matches, so they wiped out the TikTok crew. And uh, the reason we're talking about this is one of the YouTubers that won is a FaZe Jarvis. He was just a Fortnite YouTuber that went up against somebody else. He knocked the guy out. And with Logan Paul fight, fighting Floyd and this TikTok versus boxing bringing in 1.5 million pay-per-view buys... Do you think we're going to start seeing more of these like celebrity, you know, YouTuber gaming, like celebrity versus celebrity type matches? Like how Chad much, Johnson. How was much on is the a buy? Ball. I think uh, the pay per view for the um, TikTok was 20 bucks. Yeah, I think it was twenty four ninety nine. Yeah, 25 So 25 bucks for 1.5 million of those. That's, I think you probably are going to see more of it. And I've always said this about boxing. I heard Max Kellerman, who does a great job on the HBO fights or used to at least, I think he's still with HBO, he said this once that boxing is actually America's favorite sport, right? Other sports are doing a better job with the storytelling and having things that people can relate to, but anytime there's a fight on, you know, it it establishes separations and it, it, it establishes connecting points about as well as anything. Oh, there's a fight happening? Well, what's going to happen in this fight? And if you have any level of notoriety with the fighters whatsoever, it doesn't really matter how well they are fighting. So there's always going to be a place, I think, for boxing, UFC, MMA, you name it. And I know that's something you're really into, right? Oh, I'm all the way in UFC and a little bit of boxing. But What's UFC the next big fight on the uh, horizon? Jake uh, Paul is fighting Tyron Woodley, right? Yeah, Tyron Woodley is a one of the greatest a beast uh, welterweights of all time in the UFC, and he's fighting a Paul brother, which right. is going to be insane. But yeah, it's going to be cool. Conor McGregor fights in two weeks. Who's he fighting? Poirier again. That's oh. their third yep, match. It's the rubber match. Yeah, the rubber yeah. match. One to one. Who's going to take home the third one? I hope it's Connor. And that's been Nerd Corner with Sawyer Dillon. Follow him on Twitter at SawJTV. Follow his Twitch at SawJTV. When are you going to be streaming tonight? Around 2, 13 a.m.? Probably about midnight tonight, yeah. Yeah. Going to go to about 5 in the morning? Mm, probably 8.45. Okay. Yeah. Just in time for breakfast. Yeah. I respect that about Sawyer. So if you're up, if you're nocturnal, you can um, you can watch Sawyer stream on Twitch. He's nuts. You sound insane. Do you realize that? You should be medicated. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Hall of Fame voter Darren Gant from Panthers.com now joining us. I feel like we need to start at the obvious place. Yesterday, it was announced that Elton John's going to be performing in 2022 on a Sunday at Bank of America Stadium, a Sunday in September 2022. How much is Darren Gant willing to pay to see Elton John? You know, it would be a reasonable amount. I would be able to make an investment in an evening with Elton John. Uh, but you, you mentioned the one key part of that transaction. A Sunday, 
in the fall in a football stadium. We'll have you in Greensboro. We'll have you in Greensboro in April next year, maybe. Oh, man, it would be, yeah, that would be great. I mean, but it's unfortunately, uh, as long as I'm in this line of work, I'm probably going to be occupied on a Sunday <laughs> in the fall. Uh, so, you know, that, that makes it a little bit of a drag. Unless, unless the NFL's planning some kind of real exciting double dip, uh, one stadium, two events kind of thing uh, one day, I'm probably going to have to miss that one. But, yeah, I mean, that should be great. I mean, and you know, you and I have talked about it enough to know my philosophy is always buy the ticket, you know, go – Nobody's ever regretted the money they spent going to see a concert of somebody they enjoy. So it's, uh, I, I definitely, and you know what? Maybe just the Rolling Stones have deadened my senses in this. But when I looked at the prices for that thing, it was surprisingly reasonable, I, I thought. Maybe that's just that the Stones are, are still hitting us for a pretty high rate. But uh, yeah, I didn't think it was bad. And if I was going to be in town, I'd definitely be all over that. How about April? April in Greensboro, uh, Elton John will be in town. Have you ever been to a really good show in the Triad? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I know I've seen shows in Greensboro. It's kind of, you know, you've seen enough at a certain point. It's like, which one? But, um, you know, I, I think the, there's a little bit different vibe, you know, between the arena shows and the stadium shows. And, and it's a little different energy in each one. You know, some people are better in certain places than others. So, you know, the April I might have to check out. Darren Gant with us here. Read his stuff, Panthers.com. Do you expect that the Panthers are going to keep three quarterbacks? Because the Sam vaccination thing, Players, it's your own personal decision. There will be rewards if you choose to get the vaccination. There are going to be measures in place that are more restrictive if you choose not to. I think the NFL is handling that well. But if you're the Panthers, obviously Sam's a player that you need to keep on the roster. If he's unvaccinated, does that affect your thinking about the quarterbacks, how many you keep? Yeah, I, I think it's got to, and who knows? I mean, guys can change their minds, and, and they, they're not obligated to tell us. We will know, I, I think, at a certain point whether somebody is or isn't pretty easily, but, uh, you know, based on whether we see them in locker rooms or on the same planes or doing interviews in person as opposed to on Zoom. So um, that kind of stuff will make itself apparent at a certain point, but I think the point you make is a valid one, and I think it's going to – factor into roster construction at a lot of places. I mean, maybe it's a couple of offensive linemen who just refuse to. Maybe it's a couple of safeties. You know, I I think at any position, when you get a clump of guys who are making the decision not to be vaccinated, I think it forces teams to consider, you know, and, and let's be honest, I think it forces teams to consider, is it worth keeping this guy, period, versus is it worth keeping a guy or two extra at certain spots to cover for the possibility. Because that's the big thing. And the NFL's tried to do carrot instead of stick on this one. Um, if if your team is mostly vaccinated, you're going to have a mostly normal experience in 2021. If your team's not, uh, then it's going to be tough. And it's going to look like 2020. And there's going to be masks and social distancing and separate planes. And, you know, one of the – I mean, and this is just, for instance, going through the rules – one of the one of the rules in place as part of the preseason and training camp protocols is anyone who's not part of the team's tiered system, players and staff, can't be within twenty feet of a player during training camp. Like that means fans on a practice most obviously. 
But say your wife comes down to Spartanburg for the weekend and uh, wants to see your husband practicing a little football, visit with the family, that kind of thing. That's great. We'll see you 20 feet over there if you're unvaccinated. So, you know, uh, the league's doing everything they can to, you know, get guys to do it on their own. And until enough people do, then it's going to look not normal for a lot of people. And there are going to be players, I believe, who are cut as a result. Darren Gant with us here. I feel the same way about this issue that I do about the idea about cancel culture in a sense, where some say, oh, well, you can't say this or you might get fired. And I'm thinking, well, you some people can say certain things and not get fired because of the value mm-hmm. they have to a company. Charles Barkley's line is a lot different than the guy who's been at the network for two weeks. Dave Chappelle has said a lot of things that have offended a lot of people, but Dave mm-hmm. Chappelle continues to rake it in. Why? Because of the value he creates to people that choose to watch him. So Sam Darnold's not a guy I'm worried about is going to get cut if he chooses not to get vaccinated. And the same goes for Christian McCaffrey. But Cole Beasley, for example, if you're a te- if you're Brandon Bean mm. trying to make a decision, well, it's you got to figure out it is an advantage you get, to your point, having a more yeah. vaccinated locker room than not because of the rules the NFL setting in place and trying to figure out the line between who is expendable and who is somebody we'd be willing to keep on and have these protocols in place just to keep them on the roster? That's a fascinating storyline. Yeah, French players definitely have to be mindful of that. I mean, come August, because, you know, if you're if you're a third safety on a team versus a starting quarterback, you're right, the rules are very different for you. And, you know, if a guy wants to put himself out there, if a guy wants to draw his line in the sand and say, I absolutely will not do this, he has to be cognizant of the fact that it could affect his employment. And, you know, I, I think, you know, people have to be careful about saying certain things out loud. But listen, I, I think it's going to become obvious in a couple of cases on Cup Weekend where if you're a backup guard and you're not willing to get yourself vaccinated, they can find a backup guard who will. And I think that's not the Panthers. That's not just the Bills. That's every team in the league. Because at the end of the day, teams are going to do what's best for the teams. And having guys on the roster number 47 through 53 unvaccinated, it's going to be more difficult than if those guys are vaccinated. So I think you know a lot of teams are going to make some business decisions in that regard, too. How concerned are you about the way Matt Rule has spoken about the situation at left tackle? I think Joe Person asked uh, a pretty pointed question where he said, who would be starting at left tackle if it were today? And even Matt caught himself and saying, this is probably not a good answer, but I don't know who would be the left tackle there. How concerning is that to you? You know, I, I think, and one thing that I've come back to on the left tackle thing as a whole is how spoiled people in Carolina were for a decade by being able to write Jordan Gross's name in that lineup every week and not have to worry about it. I mean, those guys are rare. There's a reason, you know, we, you talk about a Jordan Gross for a long time after he stopped playing. Uh, he was that good, but, you know, it, it's they're not the only team in that situation. If you don't have that, you know, pro bowl level left tackle, you, you've got questions. And I think what they've tried to do is, you know, I think you go through the off season and you look for an answer if you can, but in short, in, instead of an 
answer, they gave themselves options. You know, and having four guys who can play left tackle, you know, if you've got four left tackles, do you have any? Um, but they've got multiple guys who could, which I guess is better than not having enough qualified applicants for the job. But, yeah, I mean, until you find the guy, you're always going to be looking. And, you know, frankly, it's kind of the situation the Panthers are in at quarterback. You know, you don't know if Sam Darnold's a guy, so you try to – look at options and and Teddy Bridgewater was one and then Sam was another one so you keep looking until you find the answer but yeah I mean it's not ideal but I think in in terms of their thinking and the way they approached it this offseason you look around and see what you could do well listen if if Panay Sewell had fallen one spot down the draft board we wouldn't be having this conversation they'd have drafted Panay Sewell and he would have been the guy at left tackle until he proved he couldn't do it so um Absent that, they just tried to cover themselves with as many possibilities and firm up the other 80% of the offensive line, which, you know, when you consider where they were going into the offseason with one starter under contract, you know, I think they've done a pretty decent job of that, both in terms of the short-term and, you know, in the future when you think about guys like Deontay Brown, David Moore, yeah, Brady Christensen, who may not play a lot this year, but may play a good bit for him in 22-23. Darren, you were out at minicamp, saw you there with your Hall of Fame polo on, your Hall of Fame uh, gear, ah, your swag. That's just my wear. free clothes. Yeah, that's, well, no, know, it's a flex. I, I wear what people send me in the mail. It, it's a flex, <laughs> and you also got the aviators on. The aviators, and you're looking there smugly, and you've got your old-school pad of paper out, writing out what Matt Rule's saying uh, as the camera is is you know just you're you're gracing the camera with your face and I appreciate that you can find all those on YouTube which I appreciate Man. uh but Sorry. but you actually got a chance see we didn't get a chance to get anywhere close to Matt Rule last year anywhere close so I'm just interested as somebody who has talked to a lot of football coaches and been close to a lot of football coaches and covering teams in Charlotte well what's something tell me something that you observed or that you learned from minicamp that you didn't know that something maybe you or me or Robert or someone in the audience might find interesting. Uh, you know what? I, I don't know that this is much of a revelation or, or any breaking news or anything like that. But one thing I can tell you for sure is Matt rule is a straight up football nerd. Uh, Matt rule loves the process of football. He loves the practicing of football. He likes football drills. He likes talking about football and reading about football. And I know the coaching profession is, is full of guys with that kind of personality, but he kind of called himself the other day out there and he was like, you know, I forgot how much I enjoy this because he hadn't been around players to that degree and having that kind of interaction in a in a year since starting a new job. I mean, he was meeting guys for the first time, you know, in their quote-unquote training camp last year at, at their own facility, and now he gets to do all the football stuff that he really geeks out on. I mean, he enjoys it a lot, and he is, you know, all about that process. He says that word a ton for a reason, but it's because he likes it so much. If you want to ask, if you want to get this guy's eyes to light up, start talking to him about football books and, you know, what he's reading this off season. And, and it's probably some bizarre old or obscure old, you know, coaching manual that he's put his hands on somewhere. He's just that guy. Robert, do you want to pitch Darren your, uh, shower beer idea that if you were in front of Mark Cuban or in front of the Shark Tank, you would 
pitched their way as a million-dollar idea? Sure. Okay, so the, the basic gist of it is uh, when you're trying to enjoy your shower beer, but you live with a female kind of like I do, maybe all of your shower shelves have been taken up by shampoo and conditioners and hair treatment and yada, yada, yada. So there's nowhere to put your shower beer. In comes the shower beer koozie. It's just a koozie with a suction cup stuck to it and then anytime you gotta oh i gotta hit the pits oh i gotta hit the other gentle areas before i go uh get a little reckless with my friends downtown you just stick that bad boy to the wall and then you're free to get clean and then next time you want to sip just pop that thing off the wall and your beer time is ready you know we we don't really recognize revolutionary geniuses in their own time often enough and i and i think it's time to give this man his flowers he's come up with something that i think you know, has a lot of, I mean, you can broaden the scope of this, too. This can also work in a swimming pool. Boom. You know, if you're out there, you swim a lap, you come back, you slap it against the side of the pool, and, you know, as long as you're not violating your pool's no-glass policy, I think you're in good shape. I, I think this is a million-dollar idea. Coincidentally, a swimming pool is my second favorite place to bathe, So, I, and it would work either place. <laughs> Pondora pool. Pondora pool. <laughs> Dare, are you a shot? Did you just admit to being a shower beer drinker back when? Back when? Um, <laughs> like yesterday. Yeah. Yes, maybe maybe not yesterday, but yes, I have been that guy. Love uh, it. W- let's say within the last decade. How about that? <laughs> there you go. Derek Gant, you're the best, man. I hope to see you in person sometime soon. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, come to Spartanburg. Hang out with us. It's always lovely there. Yes, it is. And it's certainly cool. That's that's Derek Gant. That's the the Hall of Fame voter joining us here from (laughs) Panthers.com. I I actually think you're on to something here. You didn't even tell him what the title of the thing was. I hate that title. You don't like shakuzi? But the bad thing is, this is already a thing, by the way. Oh, no. It, it's already been a thing. They, and they're is somewhat, this like the scene in Knocked Up when the, all the work they've done on their their website turned out to already be a website? That's, I mean, pretty much. That's the problem. And I think somebody did it even better than me. You can't stick with this idea. I already actually own one of these. It's called a toadfish koozie. It comes with a very powerful suction cup on the bottom of it. And it's not so much for shower beers, so it's not on the side. The suction cup is on the bottom. So you can suction cup your beer in this koozie down to, like, your boat or your kayak or the side of your lawnmower or, like, wherever you would need it to stick. You're right. That is better. Normally, you wouldn't have to do it. But uh, you can't use those in the shower. I've tried sticking them to the wall and then opening the beer so then you can like pour yourself your own waterfall, but they fall a lot and usually you just end up covering the beer. Robert, 336-777-1600 if you want in. I think you're on to something with the creativity. If it's not this idea, perhaps it's something else. I am not a shower beer drinker, but you are clearly. You're also somebody that nerds out, maybe like Matt Rule, when it comes to offensive line play. And there's some pretty big news in the NFL. We haven't had NFL news in the last few days, really. But the Steelers announced that they've released a six-time Pro Bowler, offensive guard David DeCastro, who's 31 years old. He was released with a non-football injury designation. Uh, He was on the final year of a 14 and a half, uh, 
final year of his contract, $14.5 billion cap hit. It saves the Steelers $8.75 million in cap space. My, my brain first goes to, is he vaccinated or is he not? Is this just the Steelers making a business decision on that front? I doubt you would do that this early if that were the case because there's still time between now and the season starting. But what did you make of David DeCastro being released? It, for one, I don't think it can be for the cap space because you really don't need that kind of relief this far into the offseason. No. Like if you were going to make cap space, you would have done it before now. Uh, the non-injury designation makes a lot of sense because he did get hurt last year, but he still played 14 games. So, like, it's not like – I'm thinking the Steelers might know something about his medical. He's on the right side of 30. He just turned 30 this year. He's going to be 31 when the season starts, I think. So not a terribly old guy. And you already mentioned he's a six-time Pro Bowler. He played uh, – a large majority of the games. He's not somebody who's missed a lot of games in his career. So for somebody looking for a guard, it could make a lot of sense unless the injury thing pops back up. You bring him in for a workout, and maybe he's not as quick. Maybe he doesn't seem like he would be able to stay on the field quite as long as he did in Pittsburgh. But it also makes a lot doesn't make a lot of sense because Pittsburgh offensive line was already, uh, for lack of a better term, doo-doo. Uh, they don't have a lot of guys there. When you look at that depth chart, you're like, okay, I don't know the left tackle. I don't know the right guard. I don't know the left guard. I don't know the center. I don't know. They spent one draft pick on offensive linemen this year. They've got guys like BJ Finney and like a bunch of nobodies. So you got to wonder, like, what the hell is the plan here? I saw they're bringing in Tri Turner. Uh, Trey but Turner. like, Trey Turner. But like, at the end of the day, that dude played four games last year, three games last really, year. Really, really good for the Panthers. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, if you're talking about a health issue, I think I would have stuck stuck with the guy that knows my system and knows what goes on in Pittsburgh, rather than bringing an outsider who wasn't exactly healthy last year. I'll say it was during a pandemic year, so maybe stuff was a little weird. But I wouldn't necessarily be ready to bang that Turner drum yet and be like, he's gonna fix the guard spot because. To be completely honest, they have another one where they kind of need the the position to be remedied. Offensive line nerd Robert Walsh doing what offensive line nerd Robert Walsh does. 